My name is Cody. I am a youth director here at the church. I have been on paternity leave for the past month with my beautiful wife and beautiful daughter up front here. Um, and I am tired. And so if, <laughs> if I yawn during my own sermon, it's not because I'm boring. It's because I'm tired. <laughs> so bear with me and I will bear with my child when she cries. Uh, <laughs> I would love to tell you guys about uh, a time in my wife and I's life when we first started dating. And so our first date, we wanted to be uh, basic, and so we went dinner and a movie. So we went to, to Milestones at High Street, and in, in an attempt to try to impress one another, we both ordered salads which was bad, because it did not fill me up. So we, we got salads, the same salad, and we were chatting, about 40 minutes goes by. I devoured my salad in like 10 minutes, and Sydney was kind of like picking at it. She said she was nervous. Um, I was just hungry. And so at the end, she was like, hey, do you want to finish this salad? To which I replied, of course I want to finish that salad. I am starving. And so she gives me the salad and she says, you know, or I say, hey, I've always wanted to date a girl who doesn't finish her food so that I could finish it. And she said, well, I've always wanted to date a guy who finishes my food. It's like, oh, pff, match made in heaven. <laughs> and that was the last time it happened. <laughs> to a point now where she looks at my plate and says, are you gonna finish that? And I say, yes, because I'm hungry all the time. <laughs> so of course I'm gonna finish it. But I felt like my whole, my whole marriage was built on a lie, <laughs> built on the deception that I would get more food than I probably need, which it does not happen. <laughs> deception, this, this idea of being presented a false truth, a false narrative that drives what you do, that drives even who you are. Deception was something that the people of Israel, the people of Judah, were very familiar with as they were deceived into a wrong understanding of God's character and a wrong understanding of what the temple of God, the house of God, was meant to be. So we are going to explore that this morning. So as you have your Bibles, I assume, because you have phones. <laughs> if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back that you can grab. Turn to Jeremiah 7. That's where we're going to be this morning. And as you turn there, I'm going to give you a little bit of context to Jeremiah. So who was Jeremiah? He was a prophet. He was chosen from his youth to be a prophet of God, but his full-time job was actually a priest. But he was not a priest in the temple at Jerusalem. He was actually from the line of Abiathar. And that is important because when King David died and a new king was being chosen, Abiathar the priest sided with Solomon's brother Adinojah. And so when Solomon became king, he said, hey, well, you did not side with me, so you are now out of the temple. You are not, in the, you're not part of the temple priests. And so they moved to a small region in Benjamin. And so what that means for Jeremiah was he was close enough to the temple to see what was happening. He was close enough to observe the daily patterns of worship, daily activities, but he was far enough removed to see when things weren't right, to see when things were going wrong. Jeremiah was in a time that was politically and socially, it was an upheaval. Uh, the leading world power, Assyria, was falling to Babylon. Judah had just lost their faithful king named Josiah. They were seeking out identity. The leaders of Judah were trying to partner with different world powers to assure security for them and their people. The people were operating under this deception that the temple is what brought them security. And in all, this nation was forsaking and understanding 
understanding of God and a worship of God for a deception of measurable security and of measurable protection. And these are Jeremiah's words to that people. So Jeremiah 7, 1 through 11 says this. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all of these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. So as we explore this text, I believe that Jeremiah is pointing out three deceptions that the people of Judah were operating under. There's the deception of the temple, there's the deception of passivity, and there is the deception of community. So let's explore those together. The deception of the temple. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and, go, and said, go stand in the gate of the Lord's house. Sorry, communion. Uh, go stand in the gates of the Lord's house. So this, this would have been the separation from the house of the Lord to the outer world. The, the temple itself was separated into four quadrants. So there was the outer, the, uh, the outer court, and this is where the Gentiles would have worshipped. There was the inner court, which is where women were separated to worship. There was the holy place, which is where men would worship. And there was the most holy place, and that is where the, the high priest of the Lord would come once a year to offer sacrifices. This is, this is kind of the, everyone gets closer and closer to the presence of God in the holy place. So Jeremiah placed himself right at the edge of the outer courts. He placed himself right where everyone had to enter to get to their respective place of worship. And yeah, sorry, <laughs> lost myself. Uh, their respective place of worship. And, and this would have actually been in a time where it was either a festival or a feast where the entire nation of Judah would have come together to worship and offer sacrifice. This, is what, this would have been like the, the Christmas Eve service. This would have been the Easter service where you look across and you see someone that you haven't seen for a year because they only come once a year to the Christmas Eve service or to the Easter service. This is where everyone came to try and appease God for another year. This is where everyone came to give their time, to make it another year in God's good books to perform the temple ritual so that God would be happy. And there stood Jeremiah to expose their vulnerability. He preaches in a place that they thought would probably be the most safe. But the temple was never meant to be a place that was just for ritualistic sacrifice. The temple was a place where heaven and earth met. As Solomon, the king who, who built the temple, as he was dedicating the temple, he prayed in 1 Kings 8, 27, but will God indeed dwell on earth? 
Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less the house which I have built. And then he continues in verse 30, and, and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place and listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. The temple was not meant to trap God in one place, but rather be a place where heaven and earth overlap so people can have access to the presence of God, the God of the universe. The temple was a symbol of God dwelling on earth with his people and a place for them to respond in worship. But the false prophets of Jeremiah's day really easily spun this to be something that it was never meant to be, which was the temple is what offered security and strength to the people of Judah. I mean, God, God promised that David would have a line forever. He also, he planted the temple in Jerusalem where, where we are. And even Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel fell a hundred years ago, but we still stand as Judah because the temple is here. If the temple is here, what more do we need? People believed that as long as they performed rituals, they were basically good, but they neglected a right understanding of God's nature and God's character. So Jeremiah says, do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If it's said three times, we should probably take note of what's happening. When, when in Jewish literature, something is repeated three times, it means it is truly emphasized, like the most crucial thing. A little Bible quiz. This didn't work very well in Lake Iraq, but I'm going to try it again. Uh, where in, in the Bible do we see something, you know, expressed three times to describe something? Randy, my man. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy three times. So when, when the writers say this, it means that God is the holiest being in the holiest place that has ever been considered holy. This is the emphasis of who God is. He is holy. So when, when Judah was saying, this the temple of the Lord, this the temple of the Lord, this the temple of the Lord, what Jeremiah is saying is you're emphasizing the wrong thing. Your emphasis is on the ritual of the temple when it should be on the holiness of God, on the character of God. They, they thought that, that if you did enough things with the temple, that, you, that that was the main emphasis of following God. But Jeremiah says, don't be deceived. The temple will not save you. It cannot save you. Only a right understanding of God and relationship with him can. So for us as a church, is there anything that we put our hope falsely in other than God? Do we, do we swear by the success of a gathering? If there's more than 50 people, then we're good. Do we, do we swear by the, by the proclamation of our denomination that separates us from the other sinners? Do we even think that if we come to church once a week, then we have our one-way ticket to heaven when all is said and done? It's really easy to put our faith into things that are measurable. If I go to church every week or if I, if I make a good prayer for dinner. <laughs> when I was younger, I, I was raised right on the cusp of social media. And so this was right when Instagram became a huge, a huge thing. And so I started putting my value and who I was in how many likes or followers that I had. So if I posted something and it didn't get 20 likes in the first hour, I would delete it. Because I was like, well, that was trash. Therefore, I am trash. And my value is nothing because I didn't get enough likes. I put, I put the value of who I was into something that was easily measurable, could measure how many likes I got, but I wasn't putting it into things that were harder to tell my identity with God. 
But following God is not about measuring our good versus measuring our bad. It's not even about doing the right thing because God commands it. In fact, following God isn't even about us at all. Following God is all about him. We are not the main character of this story. Everything I do as a follower of Jesus should be out of a motivation to love and to serve and to worship God and act out of the call that he's given to each of us to be more like Jesus. To have faith in the death and resurrection of the Son of God is enough to deliver me from sin and into eternal life. And out of that understanding, the good fruit starts to come out of my life. So Sunday gatherings are amazing things and they're important because this is where like my people who know and love Jesus can gather together and gather before the throne room of God and worship and praise and lament when things are hard and mourn when things are broken. The author of Hebrew puts it in chapter 10, 23. He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Let us, let us hold fast to the gospel of Jesus without wavering for he, prom- for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's important that we gather. It's important that we, we know each other and know every area of each other's life to encourage and to, to mourn and to, to be with each other. But a Sunday service is not a relationship with God. A a, a Tuesday or a Thursday youth night is not a relationship with God. A building is not a relationship with God. A program is not a relationship with God. Which brings me to the next deception I believe Jeremiah is talking about, the deception of passivity. Jeremiah continues in verse five, says, if you truly amend your ways, amend being make right, if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that God gave of old to your fathers forever. Jeremiah is calling for a complete reform of their uh, a complete reform of the nation's heart, of their thoughts, of their actions. He's calling them to repent from sin and obey the word of God so that they can dwell in the land. The act of repentance, this act of turning from our rebellion against God and turning towards him in worship. But notice how repentance and obedience is not just about the worship of God, just not about singing the right song. It's actually about how we treat others as well. The widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, these were all people who had very little social protection back in that day. And they were afforded special help in Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy 16 is a good place to look where this is coming from. So repentance and obedience, whether that's obedience in worship or obedience in care for others, is at the heart of God's call towards his people. Jeremiah is linking repentance and obedience with their ability to stay in the land that God has given them, almost as if it's a prerequisite, which can't be right because we we often talk about the unconditional love of God, how how we don't do anything to earn this love um, except believe in him. Even I have said (laughs) the gospel is not about what we do. It's all about what what God has done. But, But what's the deal with obedience and repentance then? How is that? How are both working together? Well, I think, I think unconditional is the problematic word. God's love is unconditioned. His, his choice of his children is unconditioned, meaning the people of God did nothing to be chosen by him, 
But in his sovereignty, he chose Israel to be the nation that would bless the other nations. He chose Israel to be the, the, the people that would go out and bring his good news to those around them. But throughout the Bible, there is a pattern. There is blessing to obedience, and there is a curse to rejecting God and what he has said in his word. Deuteronomy 11, 26 through 28 puts it this way. This is Moses speaking to the nation of Israel. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obeyed the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The curse, if you disobeyed the commands of the Lord your God and turned from that way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. But then the people of God became deceived by thinking that obedience was about this mindless participation in rituals, doing it, and then leaving and living a passive belief for the rest of their life. But that is ritual without righteousness. It's religion without righteousness. Righteousness being right relationship with God. Righteousness being a matter of a transformed heart. The people of God should have remembered all that God had done as he delivered them from the Egyptians, as he delivered them from the desert, as he performed miracles in lives. They should have remembered this, repented from their rebellion, and constantly obeyed because God had proven himself faithful time and time again, and he deserves to be trusted and worshipped. Similarly, we should not think that the name Christian is enough. We shouldn't think that worshipping through song is enough. We shouldn't think that praying is enough because not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, says Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, the most, I feel the most sobering piece of scripture. I personally have never casted out a demon. And so even these guys have a leg up on me. When, when all is said and done and I stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ as we all will one day, God willing, I hope my words are not, well, I preached a hundred of ser- hundreds of sermons in your name or I sang thousands of songs or, or I did a million works, which is very gracious to me. But I, I hope that's not my response. I, I, I hope that I can stand there and I say, I pursued a true relationship with King Jesus and sought to serve him with my life. I repented of my greed, of my arrogance, of my lust, of my anger. Daily, I laid it down at his feet and daily I took up the cross that Jesus called me to bear as an obedient follower of him. The beauty of the cross that Jesus died on and was raised from is we don't need to do anything aside from believe in him who died and rose again for the forgiveness of sin. The challenge of the cross is that it calls us to love Jesus in response to his sacrifice. And Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. And what has he commanded aside from loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and second and equal is loving your neighbor as yourself. So, Agassiz, do you love Jesus? Yes. Yes. 
Lake Erock had a better response. Do you love Jesus? Yes. Then keep his commands. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. That means exposing the darkest parts of who you are and asking that God would deliver you from it. Exposing your addictions, exposing your insecurities, exposing your fear, exposing all of these things to the Lord and asking that he would give you a new heart. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it in his book, Life Together, like this. And I'm sorry, I sent in my notes and it's going to say Gates of Lion, or, but it's not, it's iron. I typed it out and auto-corrected. Anyway, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, in confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and seclusion of the heart. The sin must be brought into the light. The unexpressed must be openly spoken and acknowledged. All that is secret and hidden is made manifest. It is a hard struggle until the sin is openly admitted, but God breaks the gates of brass and bars of iron, not bars of lion. Which is very much more intimidating, actually, so bars of lion. Love him with all of your heart. Love him with all of your soul, your soul being the deepest part of who you are, your passions, your loves, your desires. Love him for, with your love of music, with your love of fishing, with your love of technology, with your love of baseball or sports or whatever it is. Love him with your soul. I firmly believe that if you're in a situation and you pray for an opportunity to speak the name of Jesus and to share his gospel, it will be there. So as you go into those parts that you love, love God through them. Love him with your mind. Those thoughts that don't come out, that just stay in your mind, these need to be offered up to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins as well. And all of your strength. Babies, cry so much. <laughs> I, a few days ago, um, we were up at like 1 p.m. or something, or, 1 a.m., 1 p.m., of course. We are up at 1 a.m., and Georgia, bless her heart, was just out of her mind, and, and I had to hand my baby to my wife and just fall on my knees because I was writing this sermon and, and I was going to be preaching on loving the Lord with all your strength. And in that moment, I didn't have any strength. I was so frustrated. I was so angry because I just wanted to sleep. I love sleep. <laughs> I had no strength to praise God. So I fell on my knees and I worshiped and I prayed and I said, God, give me strength. And if it's in your will, shut this baby up, please. <laughs> I love her so much. <laughs> but when we feel like we don't have the strength to do anything else, worship God. Praise him. While there's breath in your lungs and there's strength in your muscles, find ways to praise God, all of your strength. Give him the honor that he's due. And then finally, love your neighbor as yourself. This, this is the third and final deception we're going to be visiting today, the deception of community. Jeremiah brings in a corporate level of judgment to finish up this point. 8 through 11 says this, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all of these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Jeremiah is saying, will you break all of the Ten Commandments that God gave to your fathers and then come into the house of God who gave those Ten Commandments and say, we are delivered? 
Has this house become a den of robbers? A den being a very good metaphor because a den of robbers is where the robbers would come together after they've committed their crime to to huddle for security and community and be together. Rather than, than calling each other to account, the community encouraged each other in perpetuating their rebellion against God, perpetuating their sin against God, a community that was not holding the community accountable. Back last year, um, or a few years ago, we, my wife and I decided to go on a nice, gentle tube ride with my sisters. This was on uh, the Cowichan River, and uh, we thought it would be a nice, peaceful time. And then my sister's like, actually, let's go to, let's go past the peaceful place, and let's go where there's more rapids, because it's more fun. And we were like, yeah, sure, let's do that. And then she's like, okay, I've done this before, and there's just a few things you need to know. Firstly, it may be, for some reason, you may want to tie your tubes together, but please don't do that because if you go down a rapid, they're going to rip. And then she's also said, beware, there's a lot of like strong currents going on and, and be vigilant all the time. And we were like, yeah, 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 for sure. And then my brother-in-law invited his brother, and I have never seen someone with such blatant disregard for what was just said about boundaries and rules. So they, him and his girlfriend came, and right away they just tied the tubes together because they're still in love and they couldn't be separated. And then Chelsea's like, don't do that. And then us, as the surrounding community, should have said, yeah, don't do that. That's stupid. But we said, it's fine. It's going to be fun. And then, you know, watch out for rapids. They brought chips and dip for some reason, a little floating cooler. And we were like, wow, what a fun thing. And then finally, they were like not paying attention at all. They were like looking at each other because they were so in love and they just wanted to chat. And we were like, oh, this is great. And Chelsea's like, that's not great. We're like, well, that's great. And then we all almost died that day. Just, we were going down the rapids. They went down first. They went down a rapid. Their tubes ripped, obviously. And then he was swirling in a rapid. Cindy got caught in like a whirlpool and she just kept spinning around and around. And she got up and she saw me going down backwards because why not? And I almost flipped over. And then we all kind of just composed ourselves. We're like, wow, we really should have listened to the person who had done this before. Similarly, the community, the people of Judah neglected the person who knew best, the prophet of the Lord, and everything that he said came to pass. Judah was invaded. The temple was destroyed, and Judah was brought into exile. But even when the temple was rebuilt and, and they began worshiping in it again, the community continued to neglect God's call to repentance and obedience because we see Jesus using this same scripture to communicate God's displeasure with the temple in the New Testament. He, he drives out the vendors of the sacrifices in the temple and he says, the house of God, the house of my father has become a den of robbers. They've been corrupted by greed. Rather than serve the poor and the oppressed, the Pharisees devoured the house of widows and gouged them for every penny that they had. Nothing had changed. Just because we gather in a church just because we gather on a Sunday, we have the semblance of success does not mean we're on the right path individually or corporately. We as a body of believers need to be united as a family to, as we seek to bring the message of the gospel to the Fraser Valley, to, to Agassiz, to Harrison, to Lake Erock. We need to be a community that puts their faith in a person rather than a building. Jesus Christ is the ultimate temple 
He is the ultimate intersection of heaven and earth colliding. The Son of God came and dwelt on earth. His life, his death, his resurrection are the truest understanding we have of God the Father. He showed us how to correctly love God and love others through his life and his teaching and his miracles. As he died, the veil that separated the holy of holies from the rest of the world was torn from the top down, meaning that the presence of God was accessible to all people. And through his resurrection to the heavenly space, we now have a high priest, a mediator, an intercessor who is not only at the right hand of God, he is God himself. The throne room of God is accessible not because of a specific place, not because of a specific ritual, but because of a specific person. So if you don't believe in Jesus, if you've not come to a saving faith in the Son of God and to to a love of his word and gospel, I'm asking you to begin considering it and to offer your life to him now. Come to a place of repentance from your rejection of him and obedience to the word of God. Find security in God alone. And if you are a believer in Jesus, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, she's so cute. You've been walking with Jesus for a while, I want to ask you, when's the last time you spent time with him? When's the last time you sat down and read a gospel? When's the last time you got to know the king of the universe as he's described in scripture? Take time. This week, this month, read through the gospel of John. Read through Matthew. Understand who Jesus is and then act like him. Because something amazing happens as we repent and as we believe. You then, we as believers, become the temple of God. We become the place where God dwells. In, in 1 Peter 2.5, the apostle Peter writes, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Church, do you not know that you are the temple of God? In you dwells the entire narrative of the temple, the narrative of God dwelling with his people, the narrative of heaven and earth colliding, the spirit of God in you. You are the temple of God. Every professing believer has been given the Holy Spirit to dwell in them. This is the spiritual reality that separates us from the rest of the world because now the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. Romans 8 through 11. A complete access to the God of the universe and his power, not to selfishly pursue wealth, not to selfishly impress people with weird tricks, this is, this is a spiritual purpose to build the church. The spiritual purpose to build one another. A spiritual purpose to encourage people to follow Jesus. And all this as we await the new and final cosmic temple of God. In Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem is described in such a beautiful way. The apostle the, John, the writer, says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be, the, will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is our final hope. This is what we're inviting people into, not only to experience eternal life through the Holy Spirit now, but eternal life with him in the cosmic temple, where all people who carry the Holy Spirit of God will be united under God's presence. So this week, I challenge you to petition in prayer that God would reveal to you how his Holy Spirit is moving in you as a believer, as a repentant and obedient believer. How is his spirit working in you to build the church and to build up those around you? Read 1 Corinthians 12. Read Romans 12. Very easy, two 12s. Seek out the spiritual gifts that, that Paul has outlined. If, you're, if your gift is generosity, ask God how the Spirit is working in you to be generous with your week. If it's faith, if it's encouragement, if it's prophecy, whatever it is, if you have a spiritual gift, which we all do, ask that God would use it this week to build the church and to build others. Tangibly pray for that, that the entire Fraser Valley would be met with the gospel of Jesus. Church, do not be deceived by things that will pass away, but find security and relationship with God. Our church, this family, should be a place where heaven meets earth because the Holy Spirit is in all who believe. And then go out and impact the world with the very same spirit that continues his work and has graciously allowed all of us to partner with him. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this time. Lord, thank you for your word, a word that was proclaimed to the nation of Judah that we can now read because your word is living and your word is active and it is a double-edged sword that convicts and encourages. And so we read from the past and Lord, we, we, we meditate on this word and ask how it can impact us. So Lord, if there was anything that was said today that was not from you, would it be instantly forgotten? But Father, if you were speaking through any words today, would they, would the people of Agassiz, the church of Agassiz, would we meditate on those words? Would we be challenged by those words? Would we be changed by the words that you have given, Lord? Would this day mark a day that we repent and obey your holy call? Father, as we enter a time of communion, would we remember who you are, Jesus? Remember the weight of your sacrifice and, and the blessing of knowing your grace through your resurrection. Lord, thank you for this place. Thank you for this people. We pray all this in your name. Amen.